Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. I'm excited. I'm excited for what God's going to do today because today is special in that we are starting a brand new series today. Three people in the back are excited about that. (laughs) I'll take that fake applause. No, I'm excited. I'm excited today because uh, over the next three weeks, and I won't even say three weeks, don't hold me to that. Perhaps over the next four weeks, we're going to delve into a series that I believe has the power to change your life. I really believe that. And before I even tell you the name of the series, I first want to perhaps even just give you some insight into how series come to me and how messages often come to me. I'm a firm believer that you serve a God that speaks in surround sound. God speaks through everything. Please do not limit or relegate the voice of God to only those moments when you're reading his word, although that's powerful and necessary, or when you're in worship and you feel like you're about to float out the room. But I'm telling you, if you have an ear to hear, how many know God will speak to you through everything? Oh, God will speak to you through your kids. Ooh, God will speak to you through your ex. Amen. God will speak to you in the strangest ways if you have an ear to hear what he is saying. In fact, Shakespeare said it like this. He said, there are sermons and stones. In other words, the creation is even telling the glory of God. And often when I'm talking to somebody, it's happened before. I know it seems weird, but I'll be talking to somebody in the middle of the conversation. I'll go, ooh, that's good. And I'll pull up my phone and I'll go to this section that I have all kinds of titles and things that I'm going to file. And today I'm excited because there's a series that has been in my phone since January of this year. But it wasn't until this moment that I felt like God was like, bring this series out. And you probably saw it if you're already on the gram. Today we're starting a brand new series called Socially Awkward. Socially Awkward. Can you just say that? Say socially awkward. Now, don't point at anybody. And don't look at anybody and say, well, I know this is for you. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But we're starting a series called Socially Awkward. And, and I know what some of you are probably already thinking. You're like, oh, we get it, Pastor Robert. Socially Awkward. You're calling it Socially Awkward because it's Social Dallas. We get it. Trying to be creative. We bet you're probably going to drop some merch that says Social Dallas. And it has an L-Y next to the social that marks out the Dallas and puts awkward on it. Eh, maybe. I don't know. But that's not the reason. That's not the reason the title of the series is Socially Awkward. In fact, to be honest with you, when I was first contemplating the series, for the benefit of brevity, I almost just called the series Awkward. But that'd just be awkward. (laughs) The reason I'm calling it Socially Awkward is because awkwardness can only be experienced in the context of community. You rarely experience awkwardness and isolation. Awkwardness is intrinsically connected to social settings. Rarely are you by yourself in your house doing what you want to do and you think it's awkward because that's just you in that space. But how many of you know if other people saw you in that moment, it might get awkward. Let's just, let's just make it real. My man right here in the gyra shirt. Gyra shirt, what's your name? Gary, Gary, Gary's awesome. I love that gyra shirt on. But can you imagine, Gary, can you imagine, Gary, if all of a sudden we said, hey, we're doing a social experiment. Gary was not aware of this social experiment. And the social experiment that we embarked upon was trying to see how social Dallas attendance affects at-home behavior. 
And Gary didn't know he was a part of this social experiment. So Gary, uh, we're excited to let you know today that for the last three months, uh, we set up hidden cameras that have been in your house for the last three months. And uh, we filmed everything that happened in your house. And we just won't see. We're going to put it on the screen right now for everybody to watch. Can you imagine? Now, don't go anywhere because that's a man of God. He's got Jaira on his shirt. How many know we wouldn't see anything but him praying, amen, and doing his one-year reading Bible plan? But isn't that crazy how something you could do in isolation that if everybody else saw it, all of a sudden, ooh, it might get awkward. That's the thing about awkwardness is you cannot divorce it from social settings. In fact, let's take it deeper. Isn't it intriguing that there are some behaviors that in one particular social setting would be normal, but in another social setting would be awkward? Uh, it's like, uh, I should let you know, uh, summer's here, and I have no plans on wearing a Speedo this summer. Just want to put that out there, okay? In fact, ever, ever in my entire life, I got no plans on ever wearing a Speedo. Can you imagine? And don't come to my house in no Speedo either. That, that would be awkward. That would be awkward. However, let's just say, though, even though I got this rule of no Speedo, that I decide that I want to swim for the United States Olympic team. I'm tired of being a preacher. I'm called to be a swimmer. Can you see your pastor on the Olympics? All right, Chip, here we are at the Olympics, and it seems like we have a new contestant here. Is that, That's Pastor Robert Madu. Yes, he's the one that used to be a preacher. Now he's a swimmer. Not only is he the first African-American to swim in the Olympics, it looks as though he's got an interesting outfit on. He's got Nike swim shorts on all the way down to his knees. We've never seen, in that setting, long shorts would be awkward, but in another setting, do you understand? Okay, let me take it further, because God has this way of every time I'm starting a series to give me an illustration to make it real. True story, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Taylor's getting ready to preach, and we have this rule. Whenever she's getting ready to preach, it's an awesome week of empathy in our house because she feels what I feel to have to birth a message, to have to stand in front of some of y'all. Some of y'all don't see your faces when you're up here, but some of y'all don't have the most welcoming faces, and you got to fight through it. So she feels all of that, and then I take on, you know, what she does so well, holding it down at the house. So true story, uh, I'm taking uh, my Remy, who is four, and my Evie girl, who is seven, to get their hair braided. I'm going to the hair salon. I've never done this before. This is a 10-hour process, people. And I'm taking them to get their hair braided. And I'm already nervous going in because I don't do small talk, okay? Oh, I'm not good at small talk. I'd rather talk to 10,000 people than a room of three people. And here I am walking to the beauty salon of all places. And plus, it's awkward being a preacher anyway because y'all start acting funny when preachers come in the room, okay? You should see the awkward conversations I have been in because I'm a preacher, especially if they find out in the middle of the conversation. And I'm a preacher. I've seen people cussing like crazy. And all of a sudden they say, what do you do? I'm like, oh, you asked. I said, uh, <laughs> I'm a preacher. And all of a sudden, oh, well, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. You know, I was just, I was reading the book of Palms yesterday. No, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Just go on and cuss. It's, why does everything change <laughs> when I walk in the room? Oh, here you come. Put on the Mary Mary uh, track. Yeah. I don't want to listen to what you want to listen to. I'm cool. I'm all right. So I'm already walking into this setting. It's a little awkward. And here I am in this room. We're eight hours in the process. Evie's getting her hair braided. My little Remy is sitting in my lap, okay? Now, you should know, whew, 
that this is the child that needs intercession, okay? It's the child that needs prayer. And I cannot make this up. We're eight hours in the process. Silence is throughout the entire beauty salon. And Remy looks back at me as she's sitting in my lap with a smirk on her face and says, Daddy, guess what? I said, what? She leans over in my lap and lets out an expulsion of bodily gas that is not only loud, but is pungent in odor. As soon as she does it in the silence of the beauty salon, I look at her kind of laughing saying, Remy, don't, don't do that, okay? I said, Remy, don't do that. We don't do that. She goes, okay. Two minutes later, she leans back over, looks at me and says, Daddy, guess what? Now I'm serious. I said, Remy, I'm not playing with you, okay? Don't do that, okay? Do not do that. That's inconsiderate. It's inappropriate. Who does it again? I said, Remy, stop it. We don't do that. That is rude. Don't you do that again. She looks at me in the silence of the beauty salon and says, well, you do it at home. How come I can't? I said, Remy, now you're lying, okay? You are in trouble, don't you? <laughs> it was. It was awkward because sometimes what is normal in one setting is awkward in another setting. That's the way awkwardness works. It depends on the setting that you're in that causes the awkwardness to ensue. And it's interesting when you talk about awkwardness because not only does it depend on the setting, what makes awkward moments awkward and what makes awkward people awkward is the fact that they are breaking social cues. They are breaking social norms. How many know there was no sign on the beauty salon that said you can't do that? Come on. I don't know if you know, that's not a capital offense. Flatulation is not a capital offense. So some of y'all can walk in freedom. It's not like you're going to go to jail for it. But there is a societal norm that although all of us do it, you don't do it in public. And that's what makes awkward people awkward is they seem to be oblivious to the social cues. They don't know what's going on. Awkward people don't realize that they're missing out on the unwritten and sometimes unspoken social laws of society. Awkward people don't know that if you're talking to me for 20 minutes telling a story that ain't got no punchline, no plot, no point, and I've already given you three courtesy laughs, and a man, that's crazy. That's a sign for you to wrap that story up, not keep talking in another 20 minutes. Awkward people don't know that. Awkward people don't know that if you walk into a room and people are having a conversation and when you walk in, they get quiet or they lower their voice. That's not a sign to come sit down and eat a bag of chips and say, what y'all talking about? No, they having a private conversation. That's a sign for you to walk out. Awkward people don't know. They miss out on the unspoken, unwritten law. Awkward people don't know that there are rules, unspoken, unwritten rules about staring. Come on, somebody, that if you're in a public place and you stare at me, you staring, but I catch you staring at me, you have an option to just give me the courteous hey, and then you look away. But if you just keep staring, and you keep staring while I'm looking at you, how many of you know I'm going to feel awkward and think you're crazy, and I'm going to call the police? But didn't that be crazy to call the police because there's no rule that says you can't stare at people? That's what's intriguing about awkward moments is that awkward moments are when people are oblivious to laws and rules that sometimes aren't even written down. They're just expected. So I'm curious today that if even in our world we have unspoken, unwritten laws that when people break it, all of a sudden 
you realize the awkwardness in the room. How much more for a God who through his word has set up laws and principles for the way the world that he created works. And how many of you know, not only has he given us his word, I truly believe that etched within the fabric of humanity, he has set up systems the way this world works. And how many of you know, when you break those rules, when you break those laws, you will be awkward, socially awkward. It's inevitable because God created us. So if you don't get anything, this is just the introductory message. The first thing I want every single person in this room to understand is that all of us are socially awkward. Everybody is socially awkward. Every single person in this room, every person watching online, you need to know this, you're socially awkward. I don't care how cool you are, I don't care how much swag you got, everybody is socially awkward. Let's stop pretending that there's some people that are and some people that aren't. All of us are socially awkward. In fact, look at the person to your left. Look at them real good. Uh-huh. Look at the person to your right. Uh-huh. Look at the person behind you. Uh-huh. Look at them real good. Uh-huh. Look at the person in front of you. Hello. Every single person you looked at is socially awkward. They are. We we are. First of all, I could just prove this by technology. How many know technology has made us socially awkward? I hate when y'all get quiet on me. Technology has made us so socially awkward. I have met people who got the biggest personality on their Instagram page. I mean, you will talk to anybody, but you meet them in person. They got the personality of wallpaper. And you're trying to figure out. Is this the same person? Because you all good if it's you by yourself in a room saying, hello, everybody, happy Tuesday. But when you get in a crowded room, you can't speak to anybody. We are socially awkward. We are following people we ain't never met. We are texting people we've never had verbal conversations with. This is awkward. It's awkward. It's made us as a society socially awkward. You know, there used to be a time in the history of our world where you couldn't even use your phone as a crutch in a social setting. You just had to sit there and sit in the awkwardness and be like, hey, where you park your horse and buggy? Over there? Yeah, me too. <laughs> you couldn't go to your phone. It's made us a society socially awkward. I was at my daughter's first grade honors celebration. And it was so funny. The principal started the celebration saying, this has been the most difficult year that I've ever seen in all my years as a principal. I said, really? 2020, homie? All of the years? He said, yes, this is the most difficult year. He said, because, you know, during the pandemic, everything was shut down. Everybody was at home. He said, after it, last year, we had some people who were at home doing online students, and we had other kids who were in class. He said, but this year, everybody's back. He said, now, the kids are having to reacclimate to all being in person, to recess again, and not just video games, to talking at lunch. He said, it's a little bit awkward. And I'm telling you that every single one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we are all socially awkward not just because of technology, but even because of theology. I know some of y'all who are super saved, you've been waiting, going, is he gonna read scripture? (laughs) I'm gonna give it to you because there's a verse in Genesis chapter three. Somebody, he gonna start the sermon, the sermon been started, go ahead. (laughs) Lean in. It's in Genesis chapter three, verse seven. This is when social awkwardness started. For humanity. In Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, At that moment, their eyes were opened, Adam and Eve, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the awkward world. The moment Adam and Eve were disobedient and took of that fruit, shame entered the world. 
And when shame entered the world, awkwardness entered the world. Because the first time in the history of humanity, they were ashamed of the skin they had always been in. They were afraid of a God that they always ran to, and now they're running from him, and they're hiding. This is what happened when sin entered the world. We all got socially awkward. If you don't believe it, look at the conversation that happened after they ate of the forbidden fruit. Adam, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? That's God, not Morgan Freeman. He said that. He asked that. <laughs> what was Adam's response? Uh, the woman you gave me made me do it. Ooh, not only do we have shame, now we got blame. Now we got blame. Isn't that what we do whenever we get in a tight spot? In one sentence, this man has not only thrown his wife under the bus, he's now blamed God for it. The woman you gave me. Code language, it's her fault and it's your fault. I didn't ask you for no wife. I did not ask you for a wife. And don't we do the same today? Whenever we experience the consequences of our actions, how quick we are to say, it's not my fault, it's my mama's fault, it's my daddy's fault, it's my coworker's fault, it's my friend's fault. If they wouldn't have done that, we're so quick to blame. And it started from our parents, Adam and Eve, whenever shame entered the world. And since that moment, we have been awkward. And I'm telling you today, all of us are awkward, and you will always be awkward anytime you violate the Word of God and His principles. All, anytime you come against God's Word and you want to do your thing and your will and your way, you will always experience social awkwardness. That's why when He gave the Ten Commandments, not only did some of the commandments relate to our relationship with God, but it related to our relationships with other people. Because when you violate His laws and His Word, Awkwardness is always going to show up. Is it just me? I think it's socially awkward that liars have the nerve to get mad when they get lied to. That's socially awkward. Isn't it funny that thieves, people who perpetually steal, have the nerve to get mad when somebody steals from them? That's socially awkward. The same popo you evade, you now calling, talking about, hey, hey, come in real quick. They stole my car. Why are you mad? You a thief. Isn't that socially awkward? I just think it's socially awkward that cheaters and adulterers have the nerve to get mad. It's quiet in this Methodist church. <laughs> when they get cheated on. How, how are you going to expect fidelity and faithfulness when you weren't. Yeah. But we do. And in this generation, we'll get crazy. Well, well, it don't matter. Let's just have an open marriage. Oh, really? Really? That works. Isn't it crazy how we think we can war against the way God set up sex and marriage and the context for it? But we're doing the craziest stuff. Talking about, no, it's fine. You do you and I do me. Really, player? You cool with it? Yeah, I'm cool with it. We got an open marriage. She, she can do what she wants. I can do what I want. Really, player? Yeah, I'm fine. It don't bother me. Really? No, it don't bother me. Okay, we'll see. Isn't it crazy how you can say that? But that same person that say that in the middle of a war show will slap somebody in the face and we got to endure that awkward moment. You know why? Because you're violating the law that God set up the context of marriage for. You weren't really slapping that person. You wanted to slap somebody else because you weren't cool with it. Ain't nobody gonna say amen. Just saying. <laughs> We're trying to go against the way God set up and we wonder why we have these awkward moments. Because the reality is, 
Anytime you want your will above God's will, anytime you want your way above his way, it's going to get socially awkward. Can I give you a definition of socially awkward? Are you bored yet? What is social awkwardness? Here's a definition. It is the feeling we experience when we believe that our desire for being accepted by others is threatened in a given situation. This feeling incites us to turn inward, increase our self-monitoring, and attempt to behave in ways that will better our chances for acceptance. Another definition is something that's causing embarrassment, resulting from a lack of social poise. Another definition is when something weird or embarrassing happens and there's silence after it. And no one really knows what to say. So everybody just backs away slowly. <laughs> Come on, you ever been there? That's what's unique about awkwardness is whenever an awkward situation happens, we all feel it. Not just the person that did it. Everybody feels it. In fact, I did an etymological exploratory of the word awkward, which is the fancy way to say I broke down what it means. And it comes from two words, awk and ward. Awk and ward. Ward means to be moving in a certain direction. That's where we get for ward and back ward. So that's ward, to be moving in a certain direction. But awk comes from a Middle English word that means wrong. Wrong. So awkward is wrong word. Here's the visual. Y'all come help me real quick. I'm going to give you the visual of awkward. Awkward is wrong word. It's facing the wrong direction. So a visual of awkward, y'all face that way, is this right here. This is awkward. It's awkward because I'm facing the wrong direction. Now this creates a dilemma because although I'm facing this way and they're facing that way and the majority is facing that way, we got to ask ourselves, is this still the wrong way just because the majority is facing this way? I'm going to preach. Some of y'all going to get it in a minute. Just because the majority is facing this way, does that mean that I'm really awkward because I'm facing this way? I think it actually depends on what we're actually looking at, what we have our eyes shut on. See, some things that we're calling awkward are not really awkward. This is why I pray for our teachers and I'm praying for our school system because we are so quick to put alphabets on kids that we're saying need medication. And I'm not saying you don't have to have medication, but there are a lot of kids who are just so gifted. They're different. They're different. God has a unique call on their life. So yes, they're in the kindergarten class lining up marbles and they're socially awkward, but be careful before you write them off. They end up turning into Steve Jobs and Elon Musk because the system doesn't fit their giftedness. Oh, I wish there was at least 10 people who said, I don't fit in with other people. There's something different about me. There's always been something different about me. Yes, I'm awkward, but don't dismiss me just because I'm facing this direction. Maybe I'm seeing something that you can't see. Woo! Do your research. Awkwardness is often connected to giftedness. So I'm trying to tell somebody in this series, you better embrace your awkwardness. That just because you turn the wrong way, make sure you know who's defining wrong and who's defining right. Because it's so easy to go with the flow and face the way everybody else is facing and do what everybody else is doing. But I told them in the first service, you got to be careful when you're following the masses. Sometimes the M is silent. Some of y'all get that after service. You got to be careful. When everything you want to do lines up with the culture 
and lines up with the majority opinion. Be careful because the kingdom of God is an awkward kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. You cannot be a believer and tell me you're not awkward. It is awkward to go to the bottom when everybody's reaching for the top. It's awkward to say I'm going to humble myself when everybody's promoting and exalting themselves. It is awkward to say I'm going to live on 90% because I believe that I'd rather have a blessed 90 than a cursed 100. It is awkward to be nice to nasty people, to bless your enemies and pray for them that curse you. When I could have had some bitterness, it's awkward. I'm telling you, this kingdom is awkward. It is completely antithetical to the ways of this world. So I'm scared of you if you always follow in the crowd. I'm scared of you if you don't ever stand out and look a little awkward because our kingdom is predicated upon awkwardness. We have a kingdom that this earth does not understand. And you cannot look at it from the lens of earth when eternity is what matters. Oh, can y'all turn this way? I'm trying to tell you that to live a life of faith is to be awkward. It's to be awkward. And things aren't always what they seem. Isn't that our faith? You know, I strategically called two of you up here because I wanted to give you a picture of our kingdom. Can y'all put out your hands real quick? I wanted to show you a picture of what happened that day on Calvary, that there were three people on the cross, all condemned, all considered felons, all considered thieves. And I know we shout at Easter because you know how the story ends. But how many of you know from the outside looking in, if anybody would have pulled up on that hill called Calvary that day, they would have looked at this person who was in the middle, who is our Savior, and they would have had questions about him, and they would have said, I thought he was the Savior of the world. He looks like he's a criminal to me. I thought he could save other people. How come he can't save himself? Look at who he's up there with. Be careful who you talk about. Be careful who you make outward decisions about. He was up there with some thieves, and anybody looking from the outside in would have said it looks bad, and it looks awkward, and yes, one person was a thief, and yes, he was a thief, and he was a thief too, but they were up there for what they stole. He was up there for what he was stealing. He was stealing the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He was stealing death and sin. He was stealing shame. I'm trying to tell you things get awkward because it's not always what it looks like. Ooh, y'all, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm trying to tell you that this kingdom is awkward. And you got to pick your awkwardness. You can either be awkward and say, I'm going to follow the ways of the kingdom of God. Or you can pick another awkwardness to say, I'm going to go with the masses and war against the internal voice on the inside of you that says, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to this. You know how many awkward people I see? To me, you go to the club. The awkward person is not the person in the back. They can't dance. Nobody wants to talk to. That's not the awkward person to me. To me, the awkward person is the person that looks like they're having the time of their life, popping bottles, talking about, yeah, we in here, and laughing, and all on the inside, they're going, I am over this. It was maybe cool at 18, but now I'm 38, and what am I doing? And he, yeah, yeah. 
That's awkward. I know that was the Holy Spirit because I didn't say that in the first service, so whoever that was for, <laughs> run with it. Pick your awkward. God is looking for some people who will embrace the awkwardness. One of the things I want to articulate in this series is that the awkward moments that we are trying to shy away from are actually the moments where God meets us. I know you hate awkward, but I'm telling you, God meets you in the awkward. God encounters you in a way in those awkward moments that he can't encounter you in the awesome moments. In fact, most of us, if we're honest, in the awesome moments, we forget God. But it's in those awkward moments that God's grace can actually meet you where you are. I think another definition for awkward is the gap between who we are and who we think we should be. That's awkward. That gap between who we are and who we think we should be, that gap, ooh, is awkwardness. And the awkward moment is when somebody shines a light on that gap. That, that gap between huh, the real you and the ideal you, ooh, that gap is awkward. Th that gap between how you see yourself and how others see you, ooh, that gap is awkward. Have you ever been shocked by one of those gaps? It's like, yeah, everybody likes me, everybody thinks I'm nice, right? And you ask them in the office, they're like, no, bro. Don't nobody like you. Oh, for real? No, everybody thinks I'm a hard worker. No, bro. They just think you mean. Isn't it funny, those gaps between who we are and who we think we are? And when a light is shined on that gap, ooh, that's an awkward moment. And can I be honest with you? I'll be the first one to tell you, I got gaps. Oh, I got gaps. Massive gaps between who I am and who I think I should be. You know how many times that makes it awkward? Like, I'm a pastor, right? I'm a pastor. So I am not a hugger, though. But because I'm a pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to be a hugger. And so I'll be meeting y'all sometimes. Our church got so big now, and I'll go for the hug. And I know people that are huggers because we got the same look. And it's so awkward sometimes because I'll go for the hug, and I'm there like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not either, but I'm a pastor. I think I'm supposed to be. And then it gets awkward. <laughs> Isn't it crazy who you think you should be? The gaps in between who you are and who you should be. I got gaps. You don't believe I got gaps? Can I take y'all back to old school, Robert? Put that picture up. I told you I got gaps. That's me. That's me as a kid. And I told you I got gaps. I got gaps. Now here's what's crazy about that picture right there is that picture is actually a zoomed in shot from a family picture. And I had a great family, great parents. Shout out Robert and Evan Medu Sr. Okay? Amazing parents. And so you know when you're a kid, really the only affirmation you need is from your parents. And some of y'all know what that's like to feel the pain of not having that affirmation. That, that's not my story. I, I got awesome affirmation. But the funny thing is that affirmation can jack you up because you'd be good till you get to school. <laughs> and all of a sudden, <laughs> you realize, I ain't as cute as I thought I was. My mama said I was, my daddy said I was. <laughs> It'll mess you up, kids are ruthless. So I didn't know my gaps were a problem till I got to school. Oh, it was crazy, I, didn't, I thought my teeth were good. In fact, there's one kid, if I see him in the street today, I'm gonna kick him. I never forget, I never forget, we playing soccer. He like, we need a goal, go down there and smile. I'm like, oh really? That's what we doing now? <laughs> so I mean, I'm, I did not know. 
I had gaps. I didn't know. So I'm about to show you this next picture. As soon as that happened, oh, I changed my smile. This is how I smile the rest of my life. <laughs> I got about 30 more where that came from. <laughs> Just, because I didn't know. I did not know my gap was a problem until somebody talked about my gap. And I talk about me because you can't talk about you. But do you know how many people, this is why we put this as the picture for the series. And I might even start a campaign and everybody just post your socially awkward picture after service of you. <laughs> so we can laugh. And, but you know what's crazy? Is I think that's a picture of many of us. Hiding the gaps. We are the greatest hiders. Hiding is in our nature. We got it from Adam and Eve. The moment they hid, this is what happened. Shame, fear, hiding. You'd be shocked at the people hiding right now, hiding your depression behind that plastic smile and telling everybody, no, I'm good. You don't want to make all the jokes and can't even be honest to tell people you're contemplating suicide because you're hiding. Hiding your broken relationship because you're posting better than you're living. So everybody thinks you got a great marriage off of your page. We hide. We hide our deficiencies. We hide our issues. We hide our brokenness. We hide our flaws. We hide behind our money. We hide behind success. We hide behind our job. We hide our lust that's turned into an out-of-control porn addiction, and we hide behind deleted screens and backspaces. No, don't ask me how I know. I was addicted to pornography for years and preaching the gospel and hiding it. Why do we hide it? We hide it because we don't want anybody to smell our humanity. We hold it in. We hold it in. We do it just like we do with other things. We just keep it in because we're afraid that if somebody actually smells our humanity, they will run away. All the while, our deepest desire is to be fully known and fully loved. And yet we're hiding. I put up a picture of me because I'm asking you, what gaps are you hiding? And I'm coming to tell you that God cannot heal those parts that you're hiding. If you will expose whatever it is, then his grace can come in. And this is the power of awkward moments because awkward moments bring you to vulnerability. And vulnerability is the price tag for connection and intimacy. And you cannot connect with others or with God until you are vulnerable. You stop hiding. It's funny, my kids love to hide in the house. They got the same hiding spots. <laughs> same spots. <laughs> Closet under the bed. Can't think of anything new. <laughs> so I didn't know where they're going to be. <laughs> but it's funny because they don't just hide to hide. Can you imagine if they hide in the house and I just keep watching ESPN? I'm not going to say that's happened before. <laughs> they don't just hide to hide. They hide because they're waiting. And I can always tell when I get close to them. Like, <laughs> and I'm pretending, hey, where are you, Evie? By the way. I can hear, <laughs> they're hiding, but they want to be found. Ooh. How 
many of us are hiding, but deep down inside, are going, man, somebody find me. Somebody find me. But we keep hiding. You know why we hide? Because we don't want anybody to see the real us. So rather than post a picture like this, we want a picture like this. Woo! Come on, y'all. <laughs> Holla at your boy. That's what we like to post, don't we? I mean, what is this, Idris Elba's twin? I mean, my goodness. That's the picture I want to show. That is, look at that picture. The problem with that picture is, it's not real. <laughs> that is the fakest picture. Do you know in that picture, I had a zit on the side of my face. The, you know how that happens. As soon as you schedule this video shoot, this is like, oh, you got a photo shoot? Oh, really? <laughs> and this zit just pops up on my head. They edited out the zit. My beard is not that full. My barber got all kinds of black spray paint and Beijing magic all up in my beard. My hairline is not that crispy. There's not even real frames in those glasses. They were causing a glare. We popped the frames out. That suit is not even green. I'm keeping it 100. No, I'm going to keep it real this whole series. That's not a green suit. It's a Merlot-colored suit, but I've taken too many pictures in it, so I asked her, can you change the photographer? Can you change it to another color? She said, what you want? I said, green. You should see my face when the first comment when I posted, oh, that green is killing them. I said, I know, bro. <laughs> it's not real. It's not real. Look at my teeth, y'all. Look at how, that is a crest commercial smile. It's not real. Can I say something I've never said? May as well, it's an awkward series. That's not my, that's not real. These are veneers. You, you want to see the real? You want to see what your pastor look like if these veneers popped off? Put it up there. Put it up there. That's what your pastor look like. If these veneers came off, that's, that's, your, that's the pastor of Social Dallas right there. I'm trying to keep it real with you. I'm trying to show you. Some of y'all ladies, you laughing too hard, okay? I said, stop. All your uh, contouring and stuff, stop. I'm flat, I'm flat. Playing, play, I'm kidding. I'm still, I'm still being healed. Stop. Somebody laugh too hard. Ah! Have a soul. Look at that. Veneers, they shave down your real tooth to little baby tooth. And then they glue something on it. In fact, can I show you the definition of veneer? Can you put up the definition of veneer? <laughs> to face or to cover an object with any material that is more desirable as a surface material than the basic material of the object. <laughs> a lot of us got veneers. Sound like fig leaves to me. The things that we're covering up that look more desirable because we don't want to deal with the basic material. God told me to preach this message to some socially awkward people. 
to tell you today that he cannot transform, heal, and change the plastic, filtered, edited, ideal you. He's got to deal with the real you. And the beauty of awkwardness and awkward moments is that awkwardness invites the grace of God into our lives like awesome moments can. I wish I had time because I would really break down a story in the Bible that to me is one of the most awkward stories in the entire Bible. It's in John chapter 8. We won't read it, but read it when you get to the crib. It is. It's awkward. It's awkward because it starts off just like this. This is how it starts. Jesus is sitting in a temple and he is teaching. He's preaching. And the text is awkward to me because as a teacher of the word of God, it's intriguing and it hadn't happened too many times in my years of preaching. Interruptions and moments that happen in the service, you got to figure out how to navigate it. I remember one time I was preaching at a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Middle of my sermon, guy on the second row comes up out of his seat, walks all the way up on stage, stops on the stage, stares at me. We had a stare off for a second. Then he starts weeping and he comes in for a hug. Middle of my sermon, mid-sentence. So I hugged him and it was powerful. Actually, in the moment I said, you don't know what people are going through. And sometimes we just need to feel the embrace of somebody. Somebody give God some praise. And they, oh, I'm not saying now. I said that in that moment, but I appreciate you being ready to praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so praising God. As soon as he got off the stage, I went backstage. I went to security. I said, don't you ever let that happen again. Are you crazy? He could have stabbed me in the throat. What's wrong with y'all? It was awkward. Preaching one time at a youth group in Atlanta. I'll never forget it. Actually, youth camp. In the middle of the message, one teenage girl found out that her best friend had made out with her boyfriend on the bus on the way to the camp. And she said, I'm not going to wait to the end of this little preacher's sermon to address it. <laughs> so she addressed it right there in the middle of the service. <laughs> had to break up a fight. Awkward, but all those moments I've never, never had somebody while I'm preaching bring in a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery and throw her in the front of the church and look at me and say, we just caught her in adultery. The law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? That has never happened. But it's an awkward passage because it happened in John chapter 8. And it's awkward because most of the encounters that Jesus had with people we can empathize with. Because come on, a woman with an issue of blood, a blind eye, a withered hand. But this is so scandalous. And even when I'm reading the text this week, I feel like God was saying, Robert, you're putting your feet in the wrong shoes. You're wondering what it would have felt like if you were preaching. You need to wonder what it would have felt like if you were that woman. 
to be caught in the act, to be pulled out of an illicit, intimate moment. Who knows if she even had time to grab a sheet, to hear the door knock, to be dragged out of the room, to not only be dragged out of the room, but to be taken outside and to see the gasp and the looks as you're wondering, where are you taking me? Where are we going? And then to be brought into the church and then to look up and see this Savior, Jesus, and to think to yourself, I've heard about him. I've heard about him. I heard that he shows grace and he shows mercy, and I actually wanted to meet him. I heard he was preaching the other day. I was going to go. I wanted to meet him, but I didn't want to meet him like this. There she is in that moment. I wonder what it felt like to be her, to be exposed. Whenever I preach a message, I want to make sure that I feel what the person in the text is feeling and I give the Holy Spirit permission to interrupt my schedule and show me whatever I need to see so I can feel it. And sure enough, this week as I'm studying, see an article with the pain of a mother who walked into her 17-year-old son's bedroom who had committed suicide because she had said, night to him at 10 p.m. But at 2 a.m. he was in explicit conversations online with somebody on the other side that he thought was a real girl but wasn't. And the person sent explicit pictures and then asked him to send explicit pictures. And then when he sent it, they revealed, I need $5,000. Otherwise, I'm telling your friends at school and I'm telling your parents. This boy began to go to his college savings fund trying to pay the money and they kept raising the price and finally the pain of the thought of that embarrassment made him say, I can't take it. It's happening all over the world, FBI. It's called a sextortion where people are not only doing it and people are falling prey to it, they're not even admitting it because of the shame. That's what awkwardness is. Anytime you've ever felt awkward, it's shame. It's the shame. Do you know how many people you feel like that woman today because you're in his presence, but the shame makes you say, God, I can't handle this. And I don't know who this is for today, but I came to tell you there is no sin that your God is afraid of. There is no sin that is a match for the grace of God. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Why would the Holy Spirit allow this scripture to be in the Bible to show you that we serve a God who says, I don't care what type of sin it is. See, it is man that thinks people are going to gasp at sexual sin. But God says, I see sin as sin. It doesn't matter what it is. I just know that I die on a cross I hung uncovered so you could be covered so bring it to me I felt what this woman felt I think the shame stoned her before she ever got in the room one writer says in order for shame to be around all you need is three things silence secrecy and judgment it's a recipe for shame 
there she is. I thought about what it was like to be her. I thought about what it was like to be those Pharisees. To be so blinded by hatred and religion that you don't treat this woman with any kindness or grace. To be so ready to prove your point that you would drag a woman out of the bed and just to trap Jesus. Can I just pause right here? I'm sometimes scared of church people. Matter of fact, I'd rather be put in the hands of Jesus than sometimes the hands of church people who think that just because you know a lot of scriptures that you can treat people unkind. That think just because the word is right that you can have a wrong approach. Oh! I'm telling you. Pharisees show us the sin of self-righteousness. That you can turn up your nose at somebody else because you think you don't have sin. And if you talk to the Pharisees today, they said, well, the law of Moses said she should be stoned. Yeah, it did. But it also said that you're supposed to bring the man and the woman. So if you're trying to uphold the law, why do you have one set of rules for the woman, but you didn't bring the man there too? Can you see them in their self-righteous arrogance? Self-righteousness always blinds you to your own sin. The Bible is not a microscope for you to look at everybody else's life that they need to fix. It's a mirror for you to check yourself and say, God, help me. But here's what's crazy is you can't throw church people completely away. You can't say, I'm sick of it because I hear it all the time. Church hurt, church hurt, and it's real. But isn't it funny we resolve that word for church? I mean, I don't see nobody talking about target hurt. I don't see nobody talking about Bed Bath & Beyond hurt. It's just people, anytime there's people, there's going to be hurt. And all those, these Pharisees were wrong. Can I tell you the one thing they did right? The one thing they actually did right and they didn't even know they were doing it right was they brought her to the presence of Jesus. Oh, that's why you can't throw away the church. If they did anything right, they at least got her into the presence of Jesus. They thought he was going to stone her, but they didn't know that he was a God that is full of grace, mercy, and truth. And if we don't do anything as a church, I mean, you know, we got to make sure that the presence of Jesus shows up because I can't change your life. A worship team can't change your life, but I know a man who is full of grace and truth, who if you come to him with your shame, if you come to him with your pain, if you come to him with your brokenness, he can cover you. He can cover you. Look at what this Savior does. We caught her in the act. The law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you have to say, Jesus? Read it when you get home. The most awkward response to the accusation. They thought they got him because they knew. Ooh, if he says, don't stone her, He's coming against the law that he said to fulfill. If he says stoner, no longer is he a God that shows grace and compassion. Now they're going to know that if you come to Jesus, you can get stoned to death. Can you imagine the situation they thought they had him in? What do you say, Jesus? They kept questioning him. I love his response because it's awkward. Jesus, in response to their interrogation, turns around. and starts writing in the dirt. Come on, y'all. That's awkward. If somebody asks you a question, 
and your response <laughs> is to turn and start writing in the, come on y'all, that is, you don't believe me, do it after service today. <laughs> Let somebody ask you, hey, where are you trying to go to lunch? And just look at them in the parking lot and go. <laughs> start writing Chipotle and then I don't know. <laughs> this is awkward. What is Jesus doing? I love it because they think they have him cornered. And everybody likes to talk about what did he write? And there's all kinds of theories. Some people think he wrote Jeremiah 17, 13. Some people think he wrote the Ten Commandments. One preacher I heard who didn't study much said, you know, he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet to sound. Save the wretch like me. I think that song came later, but go ahead. And there's all kinds of theories. There's one theory that I actually believe. It's my opinion. Because when he got up from writing, he looked at them and said the statement that so many of us know, yet let he who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone. Look at the grace and the truth in that statement. He's not denying that she's guilty. He's like, you're right, she's caught. The law of Moses is the law. You cannot change the law. If you start trying to change the law and the word of God, it's going to get awkward. You cannot change it. So he says, I'm not saying that she's not guilty, but I am saying none of you are qualified to do the stoning at all. He said, I'm not denying the law of Moses, but by the law of Moses, I deny that any of you are qualified to do the stoning. This is the beauty of our Savior because he is full of grace and truth. He is not condemning, but he is not compromising either and we have a culture that wants to lean to one of the extremities they want to be condemning which God is not a condemner or they want to be compromising but I'm thankful for a God who is full of grace and truth and said I can uphold my word and still cover this woman I can show grace and I can still hold on to the truth because self-righteousness blinds you I don't think that statement alone was enough to make them drop the rocks I think something he wrote in that dirt will ask when we get to heaven. That's what made him drop it. And the theory I believe which some people have postulated is that he wrote the names of all the men who gathered the rocks and then he wrote their sin next to their name. So right when they're getting ready to throw, they look down and say, wait a minute, there's my name and there's dirt on my name too. So let me go ahead and drop my rock and realize that I am not different than this woman on the floor. She might have a sin of the flesh, but I got sin of a filthy, corrupted heart. And all of us, come on, somebody need the same grace of this Savior. I'm trying to tell you, you better bring your social awkwardness to this Savior who says, I can handle it all. My grace can reach you no matter who you are so after they drop their rocks one by one he looks at her and says daughter actually woman where are your accusers I think he had to ask her that question because her head had been down from the moment they brought her in and if you're not careful, shame will make you hold your head down that you won't even realize that God has already dismissed the charges. Some of you are crucifying yourself for something that Jesus already paid the price for. 
shame off of you in Jesus' name. Not shame on you, shame off of you because he paid the price for shame to be off of you. This is the beauty of our Savior. You may as well put it up now. I know it's awkward. I always get my titles at the beginning, but can I give you my title at the end? My title is shame off you in Jesus' name. Shame off of you. Shame off of your mind. Shame off of your spirit. Shame off of your emotions. God says, I want you to walk in the fullness of who I called and created you to be. You are a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Shame off you. Where are your accusers? She looked up and said, I have none, Lord. Are you going to condemn me? Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. The beauty of grace and truth upheld. And you know the only reason that he could let that woman walk away in freedom is because he knew that somebody's body was going to be bruised. Somebody's body was going to be ripped. But it would not be that woman or the Pharisees or any of the bystanders that looked that day with her eyebrows raised. He knew that he was going to pay the price. This is the gospel. And we have a Savior that went through the shame that was uncovered so that you and I could be covered. I'm going to ask every single person to stand to your feet today I'm going to ask heads be bowed and eyes be closed shame off you in Jesus name heads are bowed eyes are closed I'm going to ask nobody leaving nobody moving just I want to be obedient to what I believe in my assignment was for today. I know you hate the awkward moments. I know you got the gaps between the real you and the ideal you and you want to keep hiding. But I'm telling you, awkwardness is an invitation to the grace of God. How long are we going to keep showing this fake, filtered, plastic version of ourselves? Expecting God to heal the projected you when he wants to deal with the real you. I know you've been hiding, but I'm wondering today if you're like my three kids, although they love to go hide, they get way more excited when I find them. I'm just here telling you today that you have a father that says you can be found. This is a safe place. You can come home. You can come home. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.